Hi, everyone. We've really been looking forward to this episode. Today, we have a very special discussion for you all. Yes, we're going to do something a little bit different. We are talking about The Memory of Things by Gay Palsner. But special guest this time, we have Miss Palsner herself that's going to be joining us to talk about her book, Kyle and the Bird Girl, and so much more. Do we ship it? Listen to find out. everyone, I'm Steph. And I'm Devin. And welcome to the We Ship It podcast. On this podcast, Devin and I discuss our favorite and not so favorite ships of all time. We were absolutely taken with the memory of things. Devin and I could not stop talking about it while we were reading it, especially because <laughs> of the immersive story and the two absolutely. main characters, Kyle and the bird girl, um, who will remain nameless in this episode because we encourage you to read the book um, <laughs> and read the story to find out why she's called that. This was truly an amazing story and we're so excited to have Gay Palsner with us, the author of the story. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Thanks for joining. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, honestly, really. I'm, I'm so honored that you guys reached out and loved the book like you did. Yeah, we've been looking forward to it. And there is a specific reason we chose to read this book, as it is just now turning to autumn and we are into the second week of September. We wanted to read something meaningful that reminds us to appreciate every day we are given. The Memory Things is a love story, yes, but it is also a story about September 11th, 2001, the day the Twin Towers were attacked in New York City. Steph and I were in first grade when this first happened. Um, most viewing the chaos from the safety of our homes in Pennsylvania once we were let out of school, but profoundly impacted our generation. And so many families and lives were disrupted on this day. I can still name friends who have lost family members to this horrific event. We pray for all those impacted and may we never forget. And it is for this reason that we wanted to start the episode with a moment of silence for those lives we lost. Okay. Thank you, Devin. May we never forget that day. So yes, that was our inspiration for choosing the book. And then as we were reading it, we totally fell in love with the characters and the story. Um, like I said before, we highly encourage you to pick up a copy of The Memory of Things. And what makes this episode very special is that we have our incredible guest joining us to talk about the story. So Devin, why don't you go ahead and introduce our special guest? Yes, it is my pleasure to introduce Gay Palsner, the author of The Memory Things. Um, Gay Palsner is a lawyer by trade, but a writer by calling. Her books have received multiple awards, including the Bank Street Best Pennsylvania School Library Award, multiple Nerdy Book Club Awards, and a Golden Archer, Wisconsin's Children's Choice Award. Her best-selling book, The Memory Things, is used in schools around the country. Gay lives on Long Island with her husband, two musical sons, and a suspiciously fictional-looking dog. When she isn't writing, you can find her in a pool or the open waters of, off Long Island. She has swum a 10K and holds out hope that one day her wetsuit will morph <laughs> her into a superhero. I love that. <laughs> Welcome, Gay. It's an honor to have you on the show. 
Thank you so much. I could really use that superhero bit right now. <laughs> that oh, is great. Can't we, won't we all? Yeah, right? <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are absolutely thrilled to have you on to talk about Kyle and the Bird Girl and the memory of things. Um, so this episode is going to be a bit different than our usual episode. We're mm -hmm. going to focus on the memory of things and learning more about Gay herself as an author. And then in the second half, we're going to dedicate to asking our burning questions about Kyle and the Bird Girl, our mysterious couple from the memory of things so without further ado let's talk so gay i have the first let's question talk. yes devin is approving of my let's talk i love it <laughs> uh, but so for the first question can you give our listeners your little elevator pitch of what the memory of things is about yeah so it is as you talked about in the opening it's the morning of september 11 2001 when the story opens and Kyle Donahue, 17 years old, has just witnessed the first Twin Tower come down from the window of Stuyvesant High School, a few blocks away in New York City. He's fleeing across the Brooklyn Bridge to safety when he notices something that looks like a ginormous prehistoric bird, huge. <laughs> so he can't, he can't keep going, so he just stops and goes those few feet back and he realizes it's not a bird, but a girl. And he tries to talk to her, and she's clearly in shock, catatonic, and she is covered in the smoke and ash of the Twin Towers. So he knows she was right there. He doesn't know what to do with her, so he brings her home. And what unfolds are the next four days as he tries to figure out who she is and how to get her back to her family, except that the longer she stays, the less he wants her to leave Aww. and the more he begins to have feelings so for good. her. So good. I love it. Um, <laughs> I love it too. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so like you said, the opening pages throws the readers right into the chaos of the morning. Um, why did you choose to start the novel amidst the action of the play? So that's a great starting question if you want to get into sort of the the book industry and publishing and editors and yeah. agents versus just the story itself mm -hmm. because the truth is when i first started writing the book which i was really writing for me i was i was working on other things and i just was having a hard time getting past 9-11 and I decided I, if, I, if I wrote a story set during 9-11 that maybe that would help me come to grips with all of it. So I started thinking about ideas and coming up with things, but I really didn't start it for a number of years. And when I did finally start it and I immediately was kind of loving it, neither my agent nor my editor at the time wanted a book set during 9-11. Wow. So the opening scene of the original story was when the bird girl is sitting on Carrie's bed. That's where the story originally opened. That's where I opened it for various reasons. The story was a little bit different in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And when I ultimately showed the manuscript to my editor at the time, she was like, can you do what the goldfinch did, which is make it a fictional tragedy, not 9-11? And I was like, no, I want to write about 9-11. But as I wrote the story, I pulled back from making it too much about 9-11. So fast forward to that editor turning down the book. I don't want to publish it. 
and it started going out on submission to editors. There was an amazing editor named Ben Rosenthal, I'm hoping to have a chance to work with him one day because he is not the editor of The Memory of Things, who fell in love with the manuscript. And the first question he asked me is, I love it, but why didn't you go there? Why are you avoiding 9-11? It's a book about 9-11. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that because I think I subconsciously was because my agent at the time didn't want to read a book about 9-11. My editor at the time did not want it to be about 9-11. So I think I pulled back and he said to me, don't. Go write the scene you wanted to write. And so that's when I wrote that very, you know, intense scene on the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, funnily enough, book business stuff, he did not end up buying the book. But I do believe if not oh, for man. his input, um, it wouldn't be as good a story as it is. And then ultimately, Vic, Vicki Lame at St. Martin's Press bought it and loved it. Wow. So. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. It is a that really is powerful opening. Like it just throws you right in there into what's going on. And that's what I think I really appreciate appreciated about it too. Um, because throughout the story, you can appreciate the gravity of what happened because of that first scene. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that I have never read um, a novel about 9-11 before mm -hmm. so this was like my first like introduction to this kind of concept and I was just blown away by the power that it had and um I mean you you can watch documentaries and whatnot and um re-watch re it on um YouTube or whatever the the live news scenes but like until you're crafting it in your own mind with your writing like I, I just it was unbelievable to mm -hmm. me I couldn't I couldn't see it until I was actually placed inside Kyle's mind. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That means so, that really so cool. much to me. And that was one of the things that was very important because for all the publishing adults who didn't want to read a book set during 9-11, it's too soon mm -hmm. because this is probably close to the 10-year mark when I'm working on it. It didn't come out till the 15-year mark, but when I was really intensely working on it and <clears throat> I kept saying to them, but it's not for adults. And the kids who read it aren't going to have the tremendous upset. In fact, they kind of, from my experience, have the opposite, which is they've grown up against the backdrop of 9-11. Mm -hmm. Their parents talk about it. Their teachers talk about it. Their grandparents right. talk about it. They have to have a moment of silence in school, but they don't have any personal feeling they for it. They don't have a concept about it. I see that and, every, every year when, I, when I'm around that time. And so that's what I wanted to do. I mm, wanted to let awesome. them step foot and feel what it felt like to be in the middle of it. And thank goodness, um, the editor at St. Martin's Press, first the editor, uh, Ben Rosenthal, that I told you about, but then Vicki at St. Martin's really were brave enough to go there despite the fact, you know, understanding, yes, hard for adults, totally different experience for young adults right, reading right. this mm -hmm. story. Right. Well, I'm so glad you wrote it um, and I'm so glad to read it. Me too. And so we're going to jump over to our next question, which is um, this one I actually really, really did enjoy. Uh, I love the inner poetry dialogue. That's one of my favorite parts of the book um, that we get from the bird girl. Where did you get your inspiration from to craft your text in this manner? So I wrote poetry first all the time as a kid. That's what I wrote. I wrote poetry. I wrote some short stories, but my teachers all through 
elementary school, middle school, high school, and even college knew me for my poetry. But I am not, I don't have an MFA, as you said, I'm an attorney. I, I've written legal <laughs> briefs, but I don't have an MFA. And so the thought of writing poetry, like poetry really feels like something you have to be mm -hmm. skilled at in a particular way. So when I wrote The Bird Girl, I was thinking, how am I going to show the reader how fragmented her thought is? Yeah, how jumbled her mind was. Mm -hmm. So that's how I thought about it. It would have terrified me. A lot of things would have terrified me about wow. this book. And one of them, it would have terrified me if I really thought I was writing poetry. So instead, I thought, I'm going to write the girl's fragmented thought. And that's the first way I went into it, is trying to show the bits and pieces that she could see. And then, as you know, if you've seen the, the physical copy of the book, she has memories that are trying to come in, and those stay in parentheticals. So the readers kind of clued into the things that are trying to you know, poke into the sides of her brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, have a, I just turned into my agent and went out on submission with an entire novel in verse now. So wow. I've gotten braver since. The memory wow. of things, that's awesome but, yeah. that's really cool <laughs> cool um one thing that i just enjoyed was like how you went from this fragmented girl and she evolved throughout the text and you could see that through mm -hmm. the writing that was being released i thought that was amazing to see like how she was being put together throughout the the whole text thank you yeah i i'm very um i'm very aware of the of the white space on the page, of the words on the page, mm -hmm. the, the way I set up chapters is important to me. And so I'm so glad when, obviously, you know, we get a grown-up teacher to pick up on that <laughs> fact, but I'm really excited <laughs> when the kids who read it pick up on that fact. Right. Or when they say something to me like, you know, at first I was really confused by the girl's part, but then I realized that's what you wanted me to be because the girl is confused. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, I forget I was reading poetry. You know, right. I put that in air quotes. Happened. You guys can't see. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. eventually she turns, her, her part turns into more prose, at least until the very end where there's a bit of a, yeah, we won't say, but. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, so moving forward, um, where did this idea for where did the idea for this tale transpire from? Like, do you have a personal connection? I know you already mentioned um, you had this inner desire within you, but did you have a personal connection to the event that caused this to come about? So, I mean, the personal connection I had was I lived in New York City for years mm -hmm. before I moved to Long Island. I grew up going into the city. My sister was still in the city that day. You know, I ran into the house and called her to get through to her and make sure she was okay. So, I mean, to me, New York City is, as I still have an apartment in New York City, New York City is home to me almost wow. as much as, you know, Long Island is. I go in all the time. And so I think that I just really wanted to try to write something that might be healing mm -hmm. and deal with how, well, how do we cope? I'm not coping, so how do we cope? Maybe I'll teach myself a lesson mm. as I'm writing it. And, but I didn't have an idea. I'm like, okay, I want to write a story set during 9-11, but I don't know what that story is. And two things happened. The first thing is that I read this tiny little article in the, in New York Magazine, they used to have columns with these tiny little brief articles, and it was an article about how many subway drivers a year 
by the way, this has nothing ultimately to do with the book because this is how books morph. <laughs> but it was about how many subway drivers each year hit people on the tracks and that we only hear about it as, as an audience reader's public if somebody is killed. We don't right. hear about all the times that mm -hmm. people are hit. And then it also talked about the fact that they get very little recuperation time. This was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, so I don't know how it's right. changed now. And while I was reading this little thing, I suddenly saw in my mind the image of the collapsed subway station, which was one of the most startling images. There are kind of iconic images from that day. And I saw the collapsed subway station, and I saw this girl in the collapsed subway station. And so the original thought was, oh my gosh, I'll have this kid and his dad is a subway operator and he'll bring this girl home because he finds her on the tracks and then Kyle forms a relationship with her. And as I started to write into it, a bunch of things about that didn't make sense, primarily that the stakes were with the dad bringing this girl home and it didn't make mm -hmm. sense. And then I somehow from that, so when I first wrote the scene in the sister's bedroom with the girl sitting on the bed, that was the dad had brought her home. The boy's like, why is she in my house? There's this tragedy. Why is this girl Gotta here? I finished a whole draft. And when my agent read it, he said to me, there aren't enough stakes here. And I said, how, what do you mean there aren't enough stakes? It's 9-11. Right. <laughs> there are no bigger me. stakes than 9-11. <laughs> And um, and then I, I remember where I was when I understood what he was saying. And then I rewrote it with Kyle's father being, so we haven't mentioned Kyle's father in that opening scene when Kyle is running, uh, not running, walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, fleeing across the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, he It occurs to him, his father is a New York City detective, that his father is probably mm -hmm. in the Twin Towers mm. and that his mother and sister were supposed to be flying home from California that morning so they might, in fact, be in the air. So he has all this pressure on him. Right. Plus Uncle Matt. You guys maybe want to talk about Uncle Matt waiting at home oh for gosh, him. Oh, my gosh, Uncle Matt. Uncle Matt. He's my favorite <laughs> character, I have to say. Oh, my gosh. I read the book, so originally through audio, I was reading an audio book, and the way that the voice actor was reading Uncle Matt, I don't know, it was just really powerful, and, like, the way that the bird girl connected with Uncle Matt, like, it was just a very, mm -hmm. like, It was an powerful, instant connection. Yeah. Definitely. Let's give Nick Mondelli a shout-out, because yep. he does an awesome job, as does Jordan Killam. Mm -hmm. I adore their narration, and that's always such a lucky thing, because, you know, you don't get a ton of input right. unless you're right. John Green or John Grisham <laughs> or someone. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, Nick and, and Jordan did a, an amazing job with the narration. I highly sure. recommend the audiobook, and you can even stream it on Spotify. <gasps> Look at that! Oh my gosh! Ooh. Yeah, it definitely made the experience like something else. So it was, it was really cool. Um, I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. Me too. <laughs> um, okay, so next question. Um, so we love reading and getting our hands on new books. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't. Um, so, do you have any <laughs> recommendations? What are you currently reading? So I just finished a couple of things. I finished an arc of a YA that is coming out soon. I should know a better date than that, but I don't, called American Bataya. Okay. And mm -hmm. um, 
It has a lot of similarities to my newest book that just came out, Jack Kerouac is Dead to Me, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and a lot of differences. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, heartbreaking story and um, by Anu Raju Kar, mm -hmm. and I blurbed that. So I read that for bl blurb purposes. And then adult-wise, I just finished a book I'm in love with by Joanna Hershon called St. Ivo. Hmm. And I did listen to that one on audio, and not only is it a beautifully written, compelling story, but she narrates her own audiobook, and she does an incredible oh, cool. job. Wow. So, yeah. So That's those are awesome. basically the two things. That's awesome when you get to hear the author just, like, pour their heart into the I narration. I know. <laughs> She That's does awesome. it so well. Like she does those nuances between similar characters. Because she knows voices. the characters. She yep. knows like what's going on. So she just feels it. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, but I feel it, and I don't think I could ever navigate. <laughs> Besides that, I have my New York, Long Island kind of nasally voice. It's very, you know, it's it's harder to it's it's weird to talk when you have headphones on. Can you hear yourself? It's yeah. weird. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, so you mentioned, this actually isn't a question I don't think we asked, but uh, your book, Jack Kerouac is Dead to Me. What is that about? I'm interested. I want to read that. <laughs> so Jack Kerouac is Dead to Me is a story of a an almost 16-year-old girl who whose family is a mess and her best friend has basically deserted her. Mm. And so she becomes attached to an older boy, a senior who's 19, who's about to graduate if he graduates and, and get out of there. Mm -hmm. And he, she latches on to him and he tells her that he is leaving for California mm. as soon as he graduates and eventually asks her to go with him and she's not even 16 yet. and. For me, what I love about Kerouac is that it's really a story about the fragility of female friendships mm. and how we fail one another mm -hmm. so often when it would be so easy to stand by one another, right. um, how we judge one another and that that judgment is detrimental and painful and mm. changes the way we view ourselves. and. Ultimately, a story about taking stock in ourselves. But when I go into schools, I talk about girls, talk to girls about how important it is for us to hold one another up and lift one another up sure. rather than constantly. Especially in this down. day and age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, that sounds amazing. Maybe Devin and I will have to read that for another episode. That sounds yes. awesome. Oh, um, it's also that. a little, it's a little sexy too. Oh, <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I know you mentioned a little bit about um, the moments of when you heard about 9-11 um, occurring. So do you remember exactly where you were on this day and the moment you heard about the incident? I remember mm -hmm. exactly where I was. And I've told the story because of the book so many mm -hmm. times more than an average person. But <laughs> but even if I didn't, I remember because I had one child who was in um first grade and one child who was in preschool. And so I had, obviously the, the first grader had gone off to school and I had just dropped off my younger son at his preschool. 
And when I, and I, so I was only working as an attorney back then, but also writing on the side. That's when mm. I was still trying to get, you know, back when I was th in right. the very beginning of this. But I was working as an attorney. So once I dropped into preschool, I only had a limited window in which to get work done, mm. right? So I, you know, <laughs> my usual routine would be run out of the preschool, jump in the car, go home and do work, or maybe go take a yoga class, whichever thing I needed to get done, and then come back and get him three and a half hours later. And when I walked out into the parking lot and was rushing to the car, I noticed that everybody was standing outside their cars and everybody was talking in a way that was not typical. And so I said, what's going on? And somebody said, a plane flew into one of the twin towers. And we all, you know, were like, what kind of idiot pilot doesn't know mm, that a twin that. tower is there? We're all by the time I got the 10 minutes home to my house, because I, of course, turned on, you know, NPR and right. listened to the radio. By the time I got to my house, the second plane had flown oh into gosh. the second mm -hmm. tower. And so then it was kind of this frantic thing. And then and then if you turned on the news, the plane was going mm -hmm. down in the field in, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and the plane had flown into the Pentagon. I don't even remember which order now. And then I jumped back in the car and went back to get my kids. Mm -hmm. My husband works at a law firm about four, we met in law school. Um, my, <laughs> my husband works at a law firm about 45 minutes here, closer to New York City. I'm about an hour from New York City in the middle of Long Island. And he's about 25 minutes to a half hour. I called my husband, said, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to pick up the kids. What do we do? Can you come home? One of the, it's a very small law firm he works for. Mm. One of the guys, one of his closest friends there, there are two guys that he's very close friends there with, um, had a brother who worked in Cantor Fitzgerald. And so he said, I've got to get Mark home. He can't even, he can't drive, he can't think. And his brother ended up passing oh in gosh. the towers. Oh my goodness. So, oh my gosh, I'm uh, yeah. so sorry. Wow. I think we all have a memory of that day and like it's just one of those things you don't forget um like I said before I was in first grade so mm -hmm. I Devin and I were in first grade and I remember that yep. day being kind of confusing but I remember class wasn't happening that day so as a young kid I was like oh like this is kind of exciting we get to like not have class <laughs> and then off. yeah then we started like they put on the tvs and I remember like then it hit me, like understanding the gravity of stuff when I saw it for my myself. But I, it's one of those moments, like sometimes you remember stuff based on the pictures that you see of what happened, but sometimes you remember being present. And that's one of those moments in my young life that I remember like being present for. I remember it in my head as an actual memory. Right. So crazy right. stuff. But crazy. Thank, well, one of on. the things that we talk about a lot with teachers, so you mm. were a kid when it happened, mm. but... We talk a lot about the unique tragedy that teachers all around the country suffered because think about the story I just told you. Something happened and I went to get my kids. Something happened and my husband, who's a lawyer in a law firm, got in the car to come home eventually mm -hmm. after taking care of stuff. The people who could not leave were teachers. Were teachers. Right. And they couldn't even let on how distraught they were. Mm -hmm. And so. Yeah, they had to cover it up. For the kids. Yeah. So we often talk about that, that they really teach educators suffered a unique tragedy that day because they had to take care of wow. their school kids rather than their own kids. Very difficult. Wow. I can't imagine. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 
Uh, I don't even want to <laughs> think about putting myself in that situation. Right, right. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Well, moving on. I know it's a tough thing, but I, I think it's important that we address, like, especially that we have these memories still um, when we're talking about this book. But next question. We love these characters that you share with us and their inner struggles that each is facing. So were any of the characters in the novel created with someone in mind or did you have any influences here? So the boy characters in my books are so often um, drawn from pieces of my sons, even though <laughs> I don't picture my sons at all. I mean, we're, we're, they're Jewish kids from New York. Kyle is a, an Irish kid from Brooklyn. Um, he doesn't look like them. He doesn't sound like them. But my sons are both musicians. Kyle right, right. wants to play mm -hmm. guitar. Yeah. Um, my boys are both kind, sensitive boys that if you told them that they were going to be a police officer, it would be the last thing on earth that they <laughs> wanted to be. You know, they're, they're, they're kind, gentle guys, mm -hmm. good athletes and strong, but kind, gentle boys. So those are generally the guys I write and I'm interested in writing mm. and allowing boys to see that it's okay to be that. Um, he has a little bit of an, a boy who, who is a good friend of ours who lives across the street. Mm. At the time, he has some of this kid Hunter in him. He's kind of a, a mix of things, but really his very own character um, and, and doesn't seem like anyone I know in my head made of, you know, whole cloth, as we used to say. Um, uncle Matt, I have an uncle who I'm incredibly close with, mm. and it's a relationship. I think the relationship of aunt or uncle are, are, have the potential to be a really important role in a kid's life yeah. because oh, they're one step away from the parents, but they can do things with the kids and, and bring out in the kids uh, a sense of being able to confide in them and get mm. close with them. And so yeah. um, Uncle Matt, luckily my uncle is intact, um, didn't have a, a catastrophic motorcycle mm. accident, but he's he. I think of my uncle when I think about that kind of close relationship right. with Uncle right. Dick. That's sweet. Yeah. The rest yeah. are made up. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so to change the topics a little bit. Um, so our podcast is a product of the quarantine. But we were wondering if you have been working on anything during this quarantine season. And if not, how have you been spending your days? So <laughs> New York has been a rough place to yeah. be. As you know, we were the first <laughs> hit, the hardest yeah. hit. It's much better now. I got hit with something that felt like it could have been COVID in the beginning of all mm -hmm. of this, but no testing yet, so we don't know. Mm -hmm. It triggered a bunch of stuff. So I haven't been feeling as great as I need to feel to sort of be at my best creative self. Mm -hmm. Luckily, um, luckily, I have a bunch of things that had to go into revision, both mm -hmm. the manuscript. I told you I was writing a manuscript in verse, and mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. needed to go through a round of revisions before it went out to editors, and so I did a revision on that. And... I had my first, I had two books come out in the middle of COVID. You do not want two books to come out in the middle of quarantine. You don't want one <laughs> book to come out in the middle of quarantine. But um, I know the listeners can't see this, but um, Seven Clues to Home is my first middle grade novel. It's co-written oh. mm -hmm. with my friend Nora Raleigh Baskin. Awesome. Um, somebody called it a modern day bridge to Terabithia. So if that Ooh. tells you what cool. it's about. Um, so we have sold a second co-written middle grade. 
to an editor at Henry Halton, so that also needed revisions. Wow. Uh, like a, when I say revisions, like a rewrite. So right, that, right, right. that is easier to do when you're not feeling creative than try to make up new stories. So I have spent most of the past um, six months doing that. Awesome. Revising cool. two wow. manuscripts. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I'll look Sounds for like it. Sounds like some long days. Um, so your novel contains the power of humanity and the American spirit after the events that pass. Um, this sense of broken yet togetherness. Do you think we still share that nature today in the midst of the pandemic? Um, what's similar or different about the two situations? So, yeah, I've been talking about this and I've been asking more than that the question, which is, I know that after 9-11, there were some um, difficult and mm. hateful things that went on. In fact, you know, then I try to reflect some of that in the scene that the kids go to Coney Island in Stillwell Avenue. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't want to brush any negative things that happened after 9-11 mm -hmm. because fear always brings out hate. Right. And so that's what happened at the time is there was fear. We had never been attacked on American soil. Not any of us who were alive, certainly, right? Mm -hmm. um, did not have, you know, luckily we always, we always put our wars elsewhere. So we don't experience them here unless we're soldiers and military who go right. out to them. But yeah. this was, it was now know, on our home front. We didn't feel safe anymore. And so at least at the time there was some understanding that fear was breeding that hate and so I didn't want to you know I through Kyle's friend Marcus um, I tried to bring out some of those things without being didactic that I think it's important for kids to young adults to pay attention to in the world that you know we're often myopically focused on our own lives in our own country and so there's a scene where they're talking about the 3,000 that died and then he realizes that this place that his friend Marcus is from, which is Uganda, they had 300,000 mm -hmm. people, not right. 3,000 people that had right. died in a short period of time. Um, so I definitely Yeah, think, I loved that for sure because it, it brought it all into perspective. Right, mm -hmm. and, and, and that moment of him getting perspective, what that feels like. What, mm -hmm. what do you do with that perspective when you get it? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to dismiss that there was, you know, negative stuff after it, but there was also the most amazing sense of we are all in this together. We are all responsible for one another. And right. the loss of 3,000 American lives was devastating to every single person that you met. Right. So... I, I'm often asking, where is that now? Right. We have 200,000 people who have died and we're arguing over whether we should wear masks. And um, so I think on a, on a micro level, kids reading this book now, I'm hope, if they read The Memory of Things now, I'm hoping they will take some things on a micro level of how can I deal with things when bad things go on in the world because the answer is you do the laundry and you make dinner yeah. and you take care of other people. So I think there are a lot of similarities and things to be taken from this. And I also think there's an important question to be asked, which is where is 
that sense that we are all responsible for one another and that mm. we're all in this together. Mm. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And that's the sentiment I got when I was reading The Memory of Things is sort of just like, this is a great book to teach kids about how to respond in a situation like this, how Kyle stepped up and was helping around the house when his parents weren't there. Like that's what is kind of on all of us in these moments of tragedy. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the end, it is a coming of age story. And for right. me, that mm -hmm. is what coming of age is. It's that, exactly. it's th those, though it's not huge. It's those small moments of recognition. I should have helped better here. I could do more there. My parents, how my parents are not immortal. My parents feel pain. They mm -hmm. have injuries. They look like hell when, you know, <laughs> I won't, there's so many spoilers to be had, but that those recognitions that are, that our parents are, are, are fra more fragile than we know that our world is more fragile than we know. Yeah. And, Definitely. uh, yeah, I think that's why it does resonate with some kids is, I think I think I that's something I do a lot in my books. It's funny when I wrote my first YA, which was The Pull of Gravity. Um, I was told at the time that teens did not want to read about parents, and the, so they should be kept out of the stories as much as possible. And I said, "Screw that," <laughs> because so much of growing up is learning to understand family dynamics and who our parents are. And so mm. parents in all of my books play important roles. They're deeply flawed. They have problems, but they're not absent from my stories. Right. Yeah. And, I think that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you so much for talking with us. And now we're going to switch it up a little bit and move on to the part two of our episode. So let's talk Kyle and the Bird Girl. Yes, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts and inspiration behind these two um, and provide some commentary and questions of our own because we have them. <laughs> Trust us. Um, <laughs> as always, we wanted to provide a spoiler alert. We don't plan on ruining the whole plot in this episode um, of the story because, you know, it has a bit of that mystery aspect to it. So everyone go read it. Um, but we may be talking Absolutely. about some plot points. So just just a warming, warning there. Otherwise, let's dive in. So our first question here, do you think um, this is it for Kyle and the Bird Girl? Did their relationship run its course or do you think they managed to make it work for a time? So am I allowed to turn that question back around on you? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, what do you so, think? <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm not sure about this one. From what I read, I would be sad to say that they never came back to one another. Um, but one of the quotes that really stood out to me was Kyle's that we're going to talk about later, which is that they exist in a vacuum. You know, these two went through so much together in the span of a few days. Their emotions were heightened. They were here and there and she didn't know who she was and it, it's all this stuff. I don't really think in that vacuum that you can read your feelings as accurately as when you're most focused. Um, they had to process so much. So unfortunately, I think they're super cute together and they would make a great <laughs> pair. Um, but I think 
they have a long way to go before they would be able to say, you know, this is a person I want to be with. And I'm, I'm not sure right. it will pan out given their circumstances being young people who live a little far away. Uh, I chalk it up to bad timing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Devin, what do you think? So I would love to see these, like, for these two to somehow make it. I mean, can you imagine the story they'd be able to tell their future kids and grandkids yeah. about how they met and the the tragedy that kind of surrounded them, but how they just, like, bonded over this and became better people and better, um, better for each other and for their families. But, however, Kyle is pretty honest with himself. Mm-hmm. He knows that no matter how hard they may try to make it work, they will always be moving in separate directions and farther and farther apart, which I think is really cool for a teenager to understand because I mean, he could have been a Romeo, have a Romeo mentality and think that not being with the bird girl is the end of the world. So in that, in that respect, I think he's very mature for his age because he has been through so much with his uncle. Mm -hmm. His empathy is also off the charts. Um, but I'm rabbit trailing here. Um, I, I just love the character. So yeah. please, what are your thoughts, Gay? So I'm so glad that you threw that quote in. I'm sure one of you will read it after because, mm-hmm. first of all, it's one of the quotes that I have to find for some of my teen readers sometimes when they say to me that they don't think that he's ever seen her again, period. And I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, there's a quote that he does, there's there's a clue that he does see her. And we don't want to spoil too much, but there's a there's something that gives you a clue that he does try they do try Mm. but I write not fantasy I write realistic fiction right and so exactly (laughs) what you said is you know he doesn't drive yet it's far away from you know where meeting wise meeting wise and so my thought is kind of what I say which is for a while they try and then life goes on and outside that vacuum you know, they're teenagers and, and there's lots of other things going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. But, 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 <laughs> but I do believe that 10, 15 years later. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I did start to write the opening scene. Once. Get out. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> That's awesome. I can picture it in my head. You heard Sadly, it Sadly, there first. are probably people who are wounded in the process. I think, like, they're going through a divorce or oh. something, you know, like they're, gro- you know, because they're, they're 17. So let's say 10 years later, they're 27, right. 30, if it's a little longer. And so I have written a scene where she's in, um, she's in California dancing on stage and it opens and he's waiting in the wing. Get out. Oh, but that's, that's as far awesome. as I ever got. Oh my gosh, I'm oh, like man. so excited. Why did you tell us that? Now Devin and I are going to be waiting eagerly. Like, that is so great. Oh my gosh. Well, we're that's waiting. Awesome. You know, if you want to send us a little draft or two. All right. I'll let my editor we'll know that there are people waiting for that sequel. There are. And it, and it wouldn't be YA. It would be either new adult or young or adult yeah. fiction. So. Yeah. I'm about it. <laughs> to go back, I, I do think that this text, even though it is considered YA, I think it is for any age yeah. um, to get that to get that sense of, um, again, to go back to learning about how to cope with things and how to process things and what kind of person do you want to be at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, it, again, it is a YA novel and um, purpose is meant for that, and I love it. 
but I think it is such a greater novel in the sense of that as well. Thank you. I will tell you that Wednesday Books, which is the publisher of um, both The Memory of Things in Sight of Stars and Jack Kerouac is Dead to Me, was actually formed to be a crossover, a young adult to adult oh, cool. Um, cool. imprint. I don't know how much they've actually done that or not done that, but that was the initial thought. And I will the say that I think that most of the stuff I write is as much for an adult audience as a teen audience, um, just because I write literary fiction. So I write quiet mm-hmm. literary fiction. It's not big fantasy. And so... Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Love it. Cool. Sometimes that, sometimes that's not a great thing because you know, it, I, I, I don't know that I always corner that teen market because I think I'm mm-hmm. writing as much adult fiction as teen fiction. But all right, so moving forward, um, how did these two help each other through this devastating time, and how are they changed forever now that they have met? Um, how are they now more whole? Oh. So I think there are a lot of things that um, make the bird girl more whole. So we'll put that off to the side because Mm -hmm. those are things that she discovers. But I think that the great thing for Kyle is that Kyle is going through a bit of an existential crisis Mm -hmm. when when first we meet him. Right. He he comes from a, a, a family of legacy police officers from the moment he was born. That's what he was expected to do. His grandfather, his father, his two uncles. Mm-hmm. And it's he has no desire to do that. He wants mm-hmm. to pursue his music. He likes science, all of that. And so he's going through this existential crisis about who he is and who he's supposed to be. And I think and I didn't think about this until you asked the question, but I think that one of the great things about, or maybe I thought about it the whole time I was writing the book, is the great thing about the bird girl is she knows nothing about him. She has no preconceived mm-hmm. notions about who he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she sees him for exactly who he is, the best of who he is. And I Clean think because, slate. yeah, and because she sees him that way, he's able to see himself. Mm-hmm. He's able to kind of step up to that. And uh, be that image. Yeah. Wow. Love yeah. that. Do you guys have any other thoughts you want to add to oh. that? Definitely. <laughs> Always have thoughts. I love that, though. I didn't think of it that way. And that's that's a really insightful way to think about it, that she's seeing him. Obviously, like, she's just had her memory sort of fuzzy, but she's seeing him for the first time as he is doing this very, like, self-sacrificial thing, which is bringing her to his house and, you know, sort of being an authority figure for a little bit while she's figuring stuff out. I I, I love that. But what I originally had put down... Um, so as far as like how, um, they were changed forever and how they made each other more whole, there is the literal Kyle helping her, helping the bird girl and giving her a place to stay and helping her, you know, try and find her family, all of that. I think more though, Kyle and the bird girl sort of latched on to each other and they found solace in each other's Mm -hmm. souls through an absolute tragedy. Um, I think that mainly stems from the fact that they were forced together by fate in this moment, but there were also tidbits of moments where they started to get to know and love one each other too, which it's hard to say if they would have had a fling if they weren't pushed together like this, Um, but I think they were changed (laughs) forever because of the immense tragedy that they both experienced. And I think 
they experience the kind of intense passion or love that people normally do after a while of being together in a very quick time. So I think it kind of taught them a lot about how to treat people and how to treat the people they love and how to treat their families. Sort of like I was talking about before, um, which I won't spoil the ending, um, but we see them both healing in a way over the course of being together and healing even um, things that were sort of bothering them before as well, even about their own families and their own lives. And I think they really teach each other to love even in a moment of brokenness, you know? So I found that very impactful about their relationship. Yeah. I absolutely love how these two teach each other to have self love Mm -hmm. through their relationship. Like they're able to have relationship about, and whether or not you can call it love and we'll get to that very shortly, but like, (laughs) is it true love or whatnot but like they're able to have this relationship and be able to find self-love for each other this is something that i try to encourage my own students about but it's amazing to see how they support each other and aid each Mm -hmm. other in their own personal struggles Um, kyle gains confidence in not only himself but also a stronger hope for um the future of uncle matt and the bird girl finds herself again and finds her passion for living again Um, To go through this event and have no one must have been tragic. But these two found each other and themselves in one of the darkest times of our country. Mm -hmm. So I just love their piecing of putting each other together and helping each other build themselves up. I just love that. I also love one of my favorite things is how much Kyle struggles with what his responsibility to her is. And Mm -hmm. how much he fights with his feelings for her because it's his job to take care of her. I love that about him. Yeah, he's a great character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But moving on to the next question. So (laughs) this is a tough one for everyone to answer, I'm sure. But is what they had love or were other feelings coming into play here as well? Yes. Yes. Oh, do you want to tell us more? Oh, see that answer? I was answering yes to both of those. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. Tell us why. (laughs) Um, I think both of those. I think Mm -hmm. that just as we've talked about that when you put something into a compressed, intense, um, codependent situation, um, it intensifies or has the ability to intensify. And I don't know whether Kyle would give her a second glance if she were walking down the hall of Stuyvesant. They probably would have run in totally different circles. And I don't know. Um, So I definitely think that the situation intensified it. And I think that um, it's not that hard to love somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard to love people. Like, and have you ever done this where like, like, I'm already thinking, this is how I am, but I'm already thinking, like, <laughs> we're going to hang up and I'm not going to talk to you again. And that's sad. Like, I like you guys. <laughs> we <laughs> may. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. do you ever do that with people where, like, you're Absolutely. instantly uh, yeah, feeling? Absolutely. The people you pass on the street. Yeah, I have to say, so. when I'm on flights, this has happened to me a few times, that I'm talking to someone on a flight somewhere and I'm like, what do we do now? Right. Like, right. <laughs> How do we part ways after yeah. this? <laughs> right. Oh, I love uh, it. I guess the flip side of that is the are the are the people you meet on vacation and then you can't get rid of them. But <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> That's so, yeah. Can't wait to get back home. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think both of those are true. I think that they genuinely love cool. each other and what sure. they've given each other in that short span of time. And I think that it is intensified. Love it. Devin. Yeah. Similar to Kyle, similar to Kyle, I also had like different feelings when it came to whether or not this was considered love or something much else. Um, I do believe that something like love was brewing here. While at first it seemed a little odd because he does have to be the care, to th the provider for her for those couple of days. Um, but you get to see their relationship bloom out of nothing. And I think mm -hmm. that is amazing. Like it was just an instant that kind of created something so much greater. And I definitely believe that there was something between these yeah. two. Was it love? I don't know mm -hmm. if I would coin it that. Um, but they were on another level and they were just connecting with each other. Yeah. And that is what you need for a basis of love. You need that connection yeah. that you just build up into something much greater. Yeah, so. I want to say too, like, I at first was like, how could this have been like romantic love? Like they're obviously just together. But then I was thinking about moments that they went through together that weren't just focused on the tragedy. For example, right. when they went to Coney Island and they saw the Palm Reader and these were all moments that I was like, well, this gives me hope. Maybe they like <laughs> connect on a different level too. So I definitely, I am torn with how I feel about answering this question. I think they loved each other in a way, but I don't know if I'd call it romantic love, but then there were moments where it was romantic love. So my mind's all over the place. Well, now <laughs> I have a really interesting thought in my head, which is do teens even know what love is? Yeah. So I was mm. subtly thinking of, and who are we to say that they don't? Maybe it's a different kind Correct. of love, but I'm suddenly thinking of when my best friend Jennifer and I went to, we used to go to Florida every Christmas vacation together. Right. We'd stay with my grandparents in Florida. And mm -hmm. inevitably, you know, we spent the entire trip trying to find cute boys and, yeah. and go make out <laughs> with them because that's what you do. Right. And we met these two brothers and we hung out with them. I'm going to tell the story in like a modified way. That's fine. Um, but, you know, we hung out with them for two nights and then they went home and then we went home. And then for months, she and I were like, oh, I love Bob so much. I can't believe him. Right. I, like for, for literally, you know, weeks, if I still had those notes, because back in those days, you passed notes, you know, right. no, it's not texts. That's how old I am. Um, and I still have some of those notes, but not those. Um but like we thought we were in love with them. So it begs the mm -hmm. question too, do teens know what love is? Mm -hmm. Do they mm -hmm. experience a different kind of love than an adult does? A love that can happen pretty rapidly. Right. And then they're in love with somebody else when it, you know, so uh, that just definitely, comes into the picture too. Yeah, definitely more hormonal aspects to <laughs> teenage yeah. relationships. Yeah. <laughs> Although... My husband and I are high school sweethearts. Uh, so I will throw that in there. Who knows what teens are feeling, though? Right, right. Well, and that's true. And so that's why I said it could. I, I know other people who have been together since right. high school. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love it. Devin. So with that, let's move into our next one. Absolutely. Um, so in the novel, Kyle makes the comment, and this is where we're bringing out that quote. So quote, besides I have this aching sense that what the bird girl and I have is one of those things that happens in a vacuum that can't be sustained under normal conditions, under the pressures of school and life and parents and siblings and distance. It's something quiet and possessive 
that will fall apart once it's diluted. So with that being said, do you think this is true, that the events of the week are what caused the spark between them, that their love is, if you want to call it that, um, is it only situational? I don't know if it's only situational, but I definitely think that, yeah, when I think of Kyle and the bird girl, like I said, and, and this may be the first time that I literally did that, tried to picture them like in high school walking past one another, I don't mm -hmm. see them being, I don't see him being mm -hmm. attracted to her just because of her physical looks, even though she's pretty. Um, right. she, you know, she's kind of goth. She's kind of very different than he is. And so I definitely think that there is a situ that, but for the situation they found themselves in, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. probably would not have connected. Right. Right. But the other thing to say is what love isn't situational. Like all of us kind of come mm. to our relationships from a random happenstance ultimately it only takes a moment yes it only <laughs> takes a moment and that's like so mainly i think this is situational but what other situation it, it could have been any other situation and you know the fact that both kyle and the bird girl sort of feel this way leads me to believe that in the time they grasped onto whatever was there to stay sane but like i said before there were moments that they bonded in a different way that wasn't just about the tragedy so and he gets to see her. I mean, he truly, like I'm thinking of the, the moment where they first have dinner. So we haven't talked about, do, do you guys want to tell about Uncle Matt a little bit? But sure. Because I'm thinking about the moment where he observes the way she treats Uncle Matt. Yes. And mm -hmm. that's what makes him really like her for the first time, mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, why is she even here? What am I going right. to do right. with her? No, I, I love... I love Uncle Matt. Like I said before, he's one of my favorite characters and I love how they each relate to him. Like Kyle has kind of always treated him just like any other person. And then when he sees that another person, which is the bird girl, also does that, it's a moment where they connect on, you know, oh, she's not just looking at him and pitying him and like sort of treating him like a child. Like she really respects him. And that yeah. that shows like Kyle has a lot of, he holds a lot of importance on his family and also the bird girl respected that. So, so it was a beautiful thing. I'm not sure if the listeners are clear. So, so in addition to his father being in the twin towers, when all this is going on and mm -hmm. his mom and sister being away in California, Kyle's uncle Matt has been living with them for the past six months. He is right. one of the dad's brothers. There's mm -hmm. uncle Paul and uncle Matt. And you do get to, to meet, sort of Uncle Paul in the story as well. You hear him on a phone call between them. Um, but Uncle Matt and Kyle have always been very close because Uncle Matt, despite that he did pursue being a police officer, is very cerebral, very smart. Um, not that other police, I don't mean it in any way that they're not, but I'm saying that he has some of the same passions that Kyle has and it wasn't a deterrent mm. to him mm -hmm. following in the footprints um, footsteps of his family, but Uncle Matt is a memory expert, and he goes around the world competing in these memory competitions that do, in fact, just so cool. I, I never heard this before, but that's amazing. So yeah, so they totally do exist, and Kyle is closest more than his dad, certainly more than Uncle Paul. He is closest with Uncle Matt, right? And off, off page before the story ever opens, six months before the story ever opens. 
Uncle Matt has had a catastrophic motorcycle accident, and he is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And so when Kyle comes home to that apartment with the bird girl, the woman who takes care of Uncle Matt when his parents aren't home wasn't able to get there. So he's not only taking care of the bird girl who doesn't know who she is, but he's responsible for his Uncle Matt who can't get out of his wheelchair to go to the bathroom by himself, can't feed himself, can't do anything. And so we learn about his relationship with Uncle Matt and where it was then and where it is now. And Kyle's so torn like moral wise of what to do with the bird girl like should he tell uncle matt yeah. like what like, what do i do what do i do in this situation um but i do love their his relationship with uncle matt and that he always has this kind of hope and that hope is ignited even further through his relationship with the bird girl mm-hmm. um because they just connect all three of them do. right Right. They, they just build each other up mm-hmm. and I love and that's what goes back to that other question about yes. um, rebuilding themselves like those three rebuilt the, are, are working on rebuilding themselves and I, I love that I won't spoil it but I love the moment where um, that hope is further ignited yeah. <laughs> um, with Uncle Matt that might I know be, what you're talking about <laughs> that might have been the hardest scene I've ever had oh, to I'm write oh I'm sure because it was just uh, so good but moving on to our last question this is the question (laughs) this is how we end every episode and uh it's why it's named we ship it so do we ship it (laughs) Uh oh, devin or who wants to go first (laughs) you go first devin i'll go first all right so i want to say yes i really do (laughs) but i don't even i don't even think this relationship was about finding love it was about something greater about overcoming the Mm -hmm. darkness of the world and of your own heart and mind um finding that inner strength again and even uncle matt comes to agree with those terms he he makes that connection like i can i can do things i didn't think that was once possible um however i do ship them in the sense that if things were different they should be together but i don't know if they are committed enough to do that um at the close of the novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're teenagers. We already talked about this. Like, they have lives. They they, they got to keep going on. So um, I do think if the situation was presented in front of them, which you already hinted at, that something <laughs> might happen. So I'd love to see that. Me too. Yeah, I just love that they're not real, and we're, like, so excited we're that I planted about this. <laughs> this is what our entire podcast is about. Me and Devin getting giddy about fake people. <laughs> essentially um but yeah we're we're fine we're healthy yeah we're totally healthy hey i'm Um, right there with you but yeah so to answer from my own part i do ship it and i there are going to be caveats to this but i will say ultimately i did ship it i was reading the book and i was like absolutely yes kyle and the bird girl heck yes um but so with that caveat being um they would need to spend more time together and like grow together like I don't know they were pushed together by such a force like we've been talking about and it's a lot for anyone to handle let alone teenagers who are already hormonal sort of like we've been talking about um so that's why I think given the chance to learn more about each other I think they could work they do have a spark there um however I'd have to learn a lot more about the bird girl and her personality to definitively say Mm -hmm. uh that's where i will leave it but ultimately yes i I want them to happen so 
gay. When that comes out, you let us know. <laughs> That's what I future ship it. <laughs> <laughs> future ship it. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much for your insight, Gay, and for talking with us. It has been such a joy. Yes, it was really great to talk to you and to hear directly from you the inspiration behind a lot of the story of the memory of things and Kyle and the bird girl. It was just really fun to talk. Um, we so appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Before we hop into other stuff, is there anything else you wanted to add? Yes, I want to say that now I ship you guys and I don't, now I'm like really sad that I'm never going to see you again. No. I'm telling you, I'll be reaching out. Don't you worry. Okay. We love that. That is so, so great. Oh hey, Devin, God. we're shipped. What do you know? Yay, we did it. That's I, awesome. I, I told you I really shouldn't even be using the words that I had to when you first asked me to come do the podcast. I told Stephanie this. I don't know if Devin knows. <laughs> I, I don't actually, think so. I thought it, I was like, why is a packaging podcast <laughs> asking me <laughs> to do it? And I had to ask my kid. It's also why, by the way, I don't know how much more YA I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on something adult now because if I don't know what we ship it means, maybe I'm not supposed to be writing YA anymore. <laughs> I love it. You know, me and Devin grew up in the age of Tumblr and all this weird social media stuff. So when I think of we ship it, it just makes sense. But also my parents were like, what the heck does that mean? Is that even like grammatically correct? I was like, yes, I, I guess. Yeah, well, now I'm going to use it with my kid. My kids are, you know, 22 and 25. There you go. So I'm going to use it with them and they're going to be like, yeah, no. No, no mom. You may not say <laughs> no, that. No, That's mom. really funny. Well, we give you the we ship it blessing. You're Thank allowed. You. <laughs> Yay. Yes. So, We'd love to have you back. Absolutely. So thank you very much for thank having you me. So thank you so much. Thank you. If anyone is interested in learning more about Gay and her works, please visit her website, um, www.gaypolsner.com, or find her on social media. She has a number of other awesome books to check out, and she's already talked about some. I'm already interested Me in too. it. And loads of wisdom and knowledge on her social, so check her out. So this is the fun part for us. Of course, it's time to announce our next episode. Who is going to be the couple we talk about next? Drum roll, please. Our next episode is going to be Jim and Pam from The Office. Yes, we are so excited to dive into a modern day favorite, Jim and Pam. And we will have a guest watcher joining us. As always, don't forget to rate and subscribe our podcast wherever you listen. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also follow Gay if you find her author yes. page. She's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much yes. for this. This was awesome. Of course. It was fun. <laughs> Oh, love it. Yes, and we want to hear from you as well. If you'd like to join as a guest watcher or add any comments to an upcoming episode, feel free to email us at weshipitpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on social media. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Yes, thank you. Talk to you again soon, lovebirds. Thanks for listening every week and being tethered to us. We love you guys. 